Now we want to look at the sense of sight or that of vision. And of course, you know what that sense is that's the eye, which is one that helps us to see our external environment. It's one that provides us with um, all sorts of information from our environment, helping us to see. Through our eyes, we can be able to see the location of something, be able to look at objects in their three dimension image. We also see them, their color, whether they are moving or they are stationary. All of this is possible because of the fact that the eye can um, receive a stimulus and be able to translate it. What is that stimulus that we are referring to here? The stimulus here that provides all of this information about what we see around us is light. And um, it must be noted here that this visual stimulus is detected in the eye by what we call photoreceptors. Remember the types of receptors that we have considered earlier, the chemoreceptors and the like. So here we're looking at photoreceptors, they are the ones that are specialized um, to help this sense of sight, which is the eye to be able to receive or detect uh, visual stimulus and be able to process them from in the head. Um, it is just like a television camera that is working continuously as images are changing, is able to detect it and be able to make meaning out of it. That is the complex level of a man. Uh, down the line, we have some other organisms too that they have eye, but maybe not as complex as that of man. Um, we have um, some lower organisms that have eyes, um, maybe not that complex. We have some that they do not really have eyes, but they have what we call light sensitive cells. And so that helps them to be able to adjust or detect cells. However, whether it's a complex eye or the simple one, it's still based on the fact that they are able to detect um, light visual stimulus and be able to make meaning out of it um, um, in whichever circumstances that they are. Um, but of course, for this class, we'll be focusing on the human eye. And um, remember that it is located um, in the eye socket. And uh, it's only a small portion of it that we see around us. Um, take note here that the eyes is there are a large portion of the eye that is behind that we cannot see. So it's only a small one that we see here. Uh, above the eye, we see that it is protected by what we call upper and lower eyelid. Um, also, around the eye, we also have what we call tear glands, which produce um, tears or um, what we can refer to as tear fluid, which is a combination of sodium chloride and hydrogen um, carbonate. Um, the eyes can also blink automatically every 2 to 10 seconds, um, allowing these tear gland to clean the surface of the earth of the eye and keep it moist. Um, another thing we should take note about the tear fluid is that it contains something called lysosome. Lysosome. And this is something that attacks the bacterial germs so it's um, something that is there to help us fight uh, little two bacteria that comes into the eye thus killing them so in that way to be able to protect um, the eye from infection uh, we also have it must also be noted that the fluid this fluid is um, um, tear fluid drain from the surfaces of the eye into the nasal um, cavity through a duct that we call the tear uh, duct. Um, beyond that, it's also important for us to understand that um, our eyes, which is found in the eye socket, has about six muscles which are attached to it. And with these six set of muscles, 
these muscles enable the eye to be able to move in many directions so as to be able to cover the width of um, the vision before so it can rotate freely upward downward sideways without you having to uh, move um, your head at all um, we should also remember that there's what we call eyelid which also protect the eyes too from foreign particles uh, we have the upper one and the lower one and they are they are surrounded by a fold of skin uh, which helps you to be able to raise them up or down from time to time we also have what we call eyelashes which is a roll of long bristle hair on the eyelid which protects the eyes too from dust or excessive light or shield the eyes against uh, sweat and water so all of these are just little little things that um, are accessories to this organ of the eye that makes it to be able to work uh, perfectly uh, in a manner that it will not um, uh, it will do its work efficiently and it will not be harmed however we now want to look at the structure of the art cell believing that you have before you um, the vertical section of the eye you'll be able to follow along um, what i'm about to look at now get that ready a vertical section of the human eye get the image before you and be able to follow through from here now let's look at the structure of the eye if you have before you a vertical section of the human eye um, you will see that one the eye is a uh, fluid filled hollow structure and um, it's basically made up of three parts even though the most important structure of it is the lens and the retina which really does the major work however if you look at it the, the vertical section of the eye gives you three good layers which is um, I want you to imagine as if you are opening a, a bulb of um, onions the way these layers are arranged one after the other starting from the one outside to the one in the innermost the one outside the outermost one is called the sclera or what we call the sclerotic layer um, the middle one is called the choroid um, that's the middle layer why the innermost one is the retina so if you look at your diagram you see the way the diagram separates these three um, uh, layers forming three um, um, overlapping um, materials on top of each other of course towards the frontal part that is the part that is um, very that we see there are some other layers that um, that you are going to see there but we're going to look at it one by one um, so that you can appreciate it so let's look at the first layer which is the sclera or the sclerotic layer um, it is one that we call the eye white that's a white tough layer um, of um, the eye it is the most outermost it is thick um, fibrous uh, connective tissue that you see there though you notice that in the frontal part where you have it it bulges out in a manner and um, there are some other materials that you're going to see at that point so quickly this sclera gives the eyes that firm shape and it allows it to be able to roll then it also protects all the other um, uh, parts or the inner parts of the eye somewhere at the back uh, the sclera is the one that is uh, connected uh, to all the op optical nerves which are the ones that will send information to the brain but take note that still under this uh, sclerotic um, layer or the sclera we still have in the frontal part we have a covering which we call the cornea the cornea uh, this cornea is, is the part that bulges out in front 
uh, when you look at your eyes it gives um, one uh, transparent um, shape it gives one transparent shape okay then in front of this cornea is also another layer again um, take note that for the cornea um, his job is to admit light as light pass through pass through the eye you could also bend the the, the, the light rays in one way so that i can focus uh, properly but his main function is to protect that um, frontage of your eyes this is meant to protect that um, that uh, frontage but interesting enough is another layer that is there that is also meant for protection which is called the conjunctiva yes the conjunctiva is also another thin tough transparent material or membrane that also lines or that covers the cornea it is meant to protect the cornea just as the cornea um, is also protecting all the other parts of the uh, of the inner eye so it shields it in case there is um, any inflammation by any infection it is that conjunctiva that will get inflamed and not the entire eyes and of course because discovering where light passes through too it will also um, modulate or um, bend light ray one way or the other remember that of all of these um, first layer of the eye which we have just concluded there is another end of it which you call the optic nerve that is found inside uh -huh. is at the back at the back which is inside the body and that's where all of the nerves that um that collects um, um that collects this um, sensation or this um, um stimulation from light waves that's where all those nerves that takes it to the brain um, are found um, they transmit these sensory impulses to the brain and sometimes too the brain can also send um, sensory impulse to them uh, so in that way for instance the brain could tell turn right turn left all this information comes to that um, brain to that uh, through that uh, optic verbs or optic nerves and they help in adjusting the brain uh, the eyes in one way or the other it must be noted that there is a part on this optic nerve um, which is called the blind spot uh, this blind spot there is no um, nerve found in this region there's no light sensitive cell found in this region and so it cannot pick any information or it will not get any signal at all so that's why of course because i must have justified the reason for that name to be called the blind spot now we are just done with the first layer which is the sclera and then we move on to the um, choroid now the choroid which is the second layer is um, a highly vascularized um, um, layer of the eye it consists of a lot of black pigmented cells and is very rich in blood um, capillaries um, no wonder if you look at it because of these blood capillaries it gives it a, a brownish or reddish um, coloration um, I want us to look at this choroid if you are with the diagram I want you to look towards the front up um, side of it that is where you know the one that is that we see when you look at yourself um, you see that from that diagram you see the second layer which is marked perhaps with dots um, connected to through something called the ciliary muscle then the suspensory ligament uh, it is attached to something called the lens so 
um, in front you have the choroid forming what we call um, a lens. This lens is a transparent biconcave structure. It's very flexible and um, it helps in the process of, um, of sight seeing. But if you also take notes, um, the space in front of this lens is filled with some water and that water is uh, a watery aqueous humor. Why? If you look inside, if you look inside, um, that is at the back of the lens now, you see a much bigger space behind, which is filled with a jelly-like uh, vitreous humor. Uh, which helps to maintain the shape of the eye. But you also see that still in front of the eye, that is where you have the choroids, you also see that uh, there is something called the iris. The iris. It is a colored opaque disc of muscular tissues that lies in front of the lens. And there is a space through which something could pass through uh, between these uh, muscles that we just mentioned called um, iris. This space or the hole in the center of the iris is called the pupil and that is where light passes through um, to get to the disc that we have behind. Um, the choroid as we have discussed you can see that it has so many parts and all of them they work closely together to be able to achieve the purpose of you um, seeing look at the iris that we just mentioned about uh, this iris controls the amount of light that passes through the eye uh, for the pupil which is that space it is that space that um, limits the amount of light that gets into the eye so meaning that if that space is uh, wider um, so much light could go through and if that pupil is made smaller um, it will reduce the amount of light that will also get um, into the eye also take note of the ciliary muscles that we said um, uh, they are also attached to the suspensory ligaments look at these ones they also help to either stretch the lens in that way helping to alter the focal length of um, of the lens and those uh, carrying out a process that we call accommodation uh, that is the ability of the eye to be able to focus depending on um, the distance of the object that is being sighted it is able to adjust itself to be able to accommodate it or to be able to uh, pick the image uh, correctly so this lens with the help of the, uh, the muscles that we just mentioned, help to do that fine adjustment so that as to focus the object properly or the image being uh, observed so that the image will, be, will fall on the retina because the purpose of all of this is to make sure that all images captured focus on the retina. Yes, um, in fact, to focus not just on the retina but the, the region where uh, the, the best image can be captured on the, ret on the retina. So all of these um, adjustments, all of these um, uh, parts of the choroids helps to make all the little little adjustment that is needed to make sure that the image is properly formed um, on the retina. Um, now we now look at the, the third uh, part of the eye and that is um, the third layer now and that is the retina now let's look at the last um, or the third layer and that is the retina um, it is the innermost layer of the eyeball and it is light sensitive light sensitive layer um, it's um, it's very vascularized by a lot of pigment and is elastic um, this retina gets its nourishment from the capillaries in the choroid 
and it contains numerous photoreceptors. Remember the photoreceptors? They are the ones that are the sensory neurons that we find in the eye, especially on the retina. Um, the images that are usually picked up by this retina, they are usually inverted and smaller than what we see um, ordinarily. And the sensory um, cells that we have here, there are two types of them. We have the rods and the cones. The rods and the cones. Um, as a code, the cones are the ones that are sensitive to color vision or high light intensities and so they do not respond in dim light that is um, the cones and so they are responsible for all your colored vision that you see they pick all the colors why the rods these um they are more than the cones and they are extremely sensitive to light um actually black and white colors black and white colors in their own case they are sensitive to all light intensities either it is bright or dim and they are more or less like a night vision in the night when the cones may not be able to pick colors the rods will be very active to be help you to be able to uh, pick uh, colors um, that comes through um, the eye. One thing we must notice that these um, sensory cells, they are well laid um, in the pigmented cells of the choroids, and so even though they are they are the retina, they are they are well embedded on the on the choroids. So in such a way that they can synapse. When we say synapse, that means they can allow they can send signals and these signals will be collected by something next to them and also transferred so the, the when they synapse with what we call bipolar neurons these ones are the ones that uh, we synapse with the sensory neurons that are part of the optic nerves and that in that way the optic nerves will send the information to the brain so there are a lot of um, um, midpoint there but in the long run, information travels still to the brain through the optic uh, nerve. So the rods and cones peak, they send it through the bipolar neurons, the bipolar neurons send it through the, uh, the ganglion uh, neurons, and in that way, it gets to um, the optic nerves. In all, in the eye, we have about 127 million rods and about 7 million cones and they are all spread all over um, they are spread all over the retina uh, the area where you have the most the highest concentration of the cones which is the one for color is the area that we call the yellow spots which is also by the name fovea centralis fovea centralis that's where you have the highest concentration of the cones and at this point it is very sensitive very very sensitive that's where you can get the fullest visual information which can be sent to the brain a little down that um, area just below it is another part that we call the blind spot here the, it does not there is no cone and there is no rod and so it is very insensitive um, the optic nerve leaves the eyes at this point so why any image is being portrayed on the um, on the retina if anything should get to this blind spot you will not see it at all because there are no cones there however the best spot um, where you can get information is when the eye uh, centers the ray that is coming so that it hits um, the, the yellow spot and that's where you can get the best um, um, image uh, to be communicated to the brain um, so these are just the basic things that makes up the, the retina but quickly before we round up on these um, three parts uh, it must be noted that 
there are some materials I, I mentioned that earlier that there is what we call aqueous humor and the features humor the aqueous humor is the one that you have in front of the uh, of the lens that gets to the pupil uh, it's a transparent watery liquid and um, take note that it is a solution of protein sugar and salt in water that's what makes this and for the vitreous humor that we said is a jelly-like liquid unlike the other one that is a watery one uh, this one too is made up of solution of protein sugar salt and water and remember the functions of all of these two um, material is to maintain the shape of the eye and also to make sure that they refract the rail for those of you that are science students you get that it helps to refract it's a way of bending the rail so that it will hit the target point and where is the target point that is the yellow spots that we have on the retina so that you'll be able to see the best of the pictures that um, you are getting now we will now be looking at how do you get information how does image form on the eye so that's something that we need to understand this process too as well as the process of accommodation before we now look at some other um, defects that may come up with the eye At this junction, now let us now look at the function of the eyes. And basically, the function of the eyes, there are two, which is um, the formation of the image and what we call accommodation. But before we look at these uh, two functions, there are, there's a need for us to also understand some, um, some principles or some concept clearly so that we'll be able to put all of this together and get a clearer picture for one thing um, light is usually light which is the stimulus here is something that is given off by what we call a luminous object and what's a luminous object something like the sun candle or light however when a luminous object produces light a non-luminous object will reflect such light that falls on them non-luminous object will bounce off or reflect back any light ray that comes upon them and so it is we see that object when that light rays enters into our eyes and um, the color of that object that we see will depend on the color of light that it reflects for one thing the white light which is one that comes from the Sun contains about seven different colors but it is whichever color that is reflected back that is the one that we are going to see the rest will be absorbed and what we see is the one that is reflected from that color if you change that white light to another color the object you are looking at may have a different color what i'm saying is, is if you have a blue light on that object that you are seeing as blue may have a different color in this case that is the new color it is reflecting so what you see in an object one is dependent on one which light do you have in the first place and what is being absorbed by the object and what is um, reflected back another thing we need to quickly understand this is also a concept that we must understand is when light um, travels most times whenever they move from one medium to another especially when the medium are varying for instance light moves from air to water why it is moving from those two mediums, it bends in a way, it, it, it changes angle. And for those of you that are science students, when light travels from a dense to a light medium or, or vice versa and it bends like that, that process is called refraction. Uh -huh. It is called refraction. Um, you must also remember that um, Using a camera as well, when you use a camera to view um, an object, um, for those of you that are sciences too, maybe you use what we call the pinhole camera, you will see that the image that is usually formed, the, the images that are usually formed varies 
But one short thing about the image is that most times they are inverted and they vary depending on the distance where the image is coming from. So the eye is also a, a masterpiece camera. So all of these things, the eyes put together. Um, also remember that in the eye, we have a lens. And for those of you that are science students, you know that um, a lens is any transparent material which have two faces. In most, at least one of those faces will be curved. And we have two of them. We have the convex lens and the concave lens. But in the case of the eye, what we have in the eye is a biconvex lens. So that it is, it is bulging on both sides. It is bulging out on both sides. That is the kind of lens that we have in the eye. So putting all of this in mind. Now, how is the first process of the eye or the first function of the eye actually, which is image formation? When you look at an object, remember that the light ray is coming from that object. That light ray will travel through the air and by the time it gets to your own eye, it will pass through the conjunctiva from there, it will pass through the, the cornea, then from the cornea it goes through uh, the pupil, from the pupil it gets down um, It passes through the, the pupil. Um, from there, it, it gets to the aqueous humor. Remember the aqueous humor? That's the fluid that is in between the lens and um, um, the uh, between the lens and the iris. Remember, okay? Then we also have the ray. It will pass through the lens. Then it now passes through the vitreous humor. That is the jelly-like. Uh, material that we said is behind the um, that is the lens then it will now find its way to focus on the retina why it is passing through all of these um, medium there will definitely be a bent and that remember that bent is called refraction there will be a bent I remember all that we said about cameras the image that will usually be formed will be a real image. It will usually be inverted and it will be smaller than the object that you... It will be smaller than the, the real object itself. So that's what um, we usually... Um, that is what the retina, the stimulation that the retina will get back. Um, because it's passing through this, one beautiful thing that we must notice that the reflection inside the eye or the reflection of light inside the eye is usually prevented because there are some black um, parts of the choroid so that we block any form of reflection that may take place inside the eyes so what you're going to get is going to be pure depending on what falls on the retina and um, remember that the retina has the cones and the rods so each point of light that falls on the retina stimulates the rods and the uh, and the cones and um, these rods and cones like i said they 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 trigger a kind of electrical impulse that electrical impulse is sent to the brain and it is the brain that we now interpret based on the past experience that the brain has had or the training that the brain has had it's able to translate and say okay this is what is before me and this is how it should be in fact the brain we quickly have to I'll turn the image upright so that it will give the real position, not inverted as we said earlier. It will also be able to calculate what is the real size and what is likely to be the distance. So it is the brain that puts all of these congestions into it so that we can enjoy or have a clear idea of what we are looking at. Remember, it is when this image is formed on the yellow spot or the full um, the foveal centralis that is where you get the best picture or you, you, you get the clearest picture of the image that you are looking at another thing that the eyes quickly do is to control the amount of light that enters into the eye remember if you suddenly find yourself in a bright light more of the receptors that is the cones and the and the and the rods will be 
sensitized, they will be stimulated because of the large amount of light or bright light that enters into your eye. So the brain will know definitely will quickly get the feeling that something is wrong, this light is too much. So the brain would send some messages to the uh, through the motor impulses to the muscles of the iris. Remember, the iris can adjust. It can it can adjust upward or downward, increasing the pupil. So once the brain sends that information to the to the iris, the iris would quickly to quickly close up a little, so that the 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 amount of light that is coming in will be reduced. So less light will now enter into the eyes, but the image that you are looking at still remains uh, intact. It's a reflex action that happens almost instantaneously, and um, of course that is meant to um, to protect the retina so that too much light does not get to the retina because once too much light gets there, it could damage the retina. In the event that there is a dim light, so the brain still sends that information to the motor impulses, um, send uh, motor impulses to the um, um, to the iris, telling that this light is too small. Can you relax a little? And when it does, it will dilate, allowing more light to uh, to come in. In that way, it will have adjusted. The pupil will be wider than it was. So that's why you may see yourself at night. You may have to stretch your eyes a little more. Why? Because you need more light to enter um, at the night um, time. The sec. So that ends all about the first process. The second process is the accommodation. And what's accommodation? This one has to do with how the eyes can be able to focus on nearby or far away objects. And this is only possible um, through the ability to change the shape of the lens. Remember the lens that we have in the eye is a biconvex lens. So the ability to change the shape of that lens so as to alter its focal length abruptly such that a clear image can be formed on the retina is what we call accommodation. So the ability of our eyes to adjust the shape of that lens because adjusting that shape will alter the focal length in one form or the other thus allowing the image to form that is what we call accommodation Um, and um, this is possible um, through the muscles that are attached to the lens. Remember, there are some ciliary muscles as well as suspensory ligaments that are attached to the lens. So, when an object is far away, um, these muscles will try to relax. And once they relax, what does that mean? Once they relax, the 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 lens, the lens will will, will become stretched and become thinner so once they relax remember once the muscle of the ciliary body relax um, this action will cause the lens to stretch and become thinner so the light will be able to pass through and bend then to focus on the retina remember that is what you do in the case of a far away object but when the object is very near, these rings of muscles contract. So when they contract, um, it makes the lens to become fatter. That is, it becomes more coffer and it is not stretched. Then it's, it's like smaller in size. And so that will be able to bend the light ray appropriately so as to focus on the retina. We must also not forget that... Um, um there is what we call the farthest and the the farthest point and what we can refer to as the nearest point uh the nearest point by which anything closer than that your eyes will not be able to pick what is in front of you is about 25 centimeter so anything closer maybe 23 or even lower your eyes will not be able to pick the object before you and anything further um of in fact when it comes to the far point for the eye for the normal eye it is indefinite it's an infinity Uh so it's something 
that uh, you cannot calculate it does depend on the individual that um, we have also very interesting about the human eye is that we have what we call binocular vision what does this mean because you have two eyes one on the left and one on the right the combination of this the set of impulses that these two eyes gives you help us to have a clearer vision um one will be seeing an object from a slightly different position while the other two will be seen from a, diff- a slightly different position so of course one will be more to the right and one will be more to the left side but it is the brain that combines all the sensory information that comes from all of these two eyes put them together and be able to give you an accurate picture of what is uh, the in front of you and so um our binocular vision affords us the opportunity to be able to see um object from a better angle Uh it makes it possible for us to be able to recognize an object you can see the depth that is the height you can see the width the length in fact we can see a 3d object not just the length and breadth we can see many other things about the object because of the advantage of this binocular vision that we have also we must not forget that when you say your eyes are detected light this is possible because um the rods of course and the cones are being sensitized um you must also remember that there is also something we call a light sensitive pigment is a protein pigment or protein uh, a, a protein complex by the name rhodopsin rhodopsin or you can also call it visual purple is usually packed on the surface of the the rods and the cones it's usually on their surface um, these um, um, Rhodopsin, which falls on the photoreceptor. Sorry, uh, light energy that falls on the photoreceptor is absorbed by the rhodopsin. So, rhodopsin is covering the surface of the photoreceptor. So, when light is coming, this rhodopsin that will absorb the light first, and then it 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 brings about some modulations. And the changes that you see in that rhodopsin is what we now initiate some change of events that will trigger the generation of electric impulses by the rods and the cones. And that's why you are usually advised that um, you take vitamin A as a daily dietary um, um, food material so that because the pigments part of rhodopsin is made up of is made from vitamin a so it's good for your vision so that you'll be able to see in the way they will be able to trigger the rods and the cones very well to action um the rods remember um they are they are very they are extremely sensitive and they can perceive light in black and white uh, why in the cones those ones can perceive light in all the colors uh, the various colors um, that's um, remember you are going to get the best color when the images is formed on the um, the images is formed there on the yellow spot that is the fovea centralis that's where you have so many of the cones they are formed there the rods are somewhere more outside that particular spot so they can help you too but um it can never be as when you have the, the concentration that we have on the on the blind spots finally on this i must say that there are three types of cones cells the ones that help us for color there are three types of them we have those that can stimulate for red light we have those that can stimulate for green light and we have the third one that can stimulate for blue violent color those are the three types that we have 
So any other color that you see is a combination of all that these three gives us. Yes, it's a combination of all that these three gives us. For example, when you see a purple color object, when the brain receives the, the stimulus. So these can always come when the red and the blue violent uh, cones have been stimulated. That's what gives you that um, that um, color that you call purple. Uh-huh. So it's usually so any other color of creation that you have is a combination of these three cones that that gives you that. And if for any reason one of these types of cones is defective or is absent, it could alter the person's ability to see color correctly. Uh-huh. It could alter, and that is a condition that we call color blindness. It's an inherited condition whereby someone will not be able to um, pick color the way others see it. So that condition is called color blindness. A test in the hospital um, by an optician will help you to know if you have that um, that uh, condition. So having concluded this part on the two functions of the eye, which is formation of the image, and we have also been able to see the process of accommodation, and so and many other um, activities that goes on simultaneously. Why these two major functions goes on? We will now be looking at what are the defects of the eyes, and perhaps how they can be corrected. Now, we want to look at the defects of the eyes. And um, there are basically about four major defects that we're going to look at. Then we're still going to see some other ones too um, that disturbs the eyes. They, they usually cause excessive strain on the eye. Um, whether you are old or young. Now, the first one we're going to look at is what we call short-sightedness. Short-sightedness or another name is near-sightedness or what you call myopia. Myopia. So, that's the first one. And this is a condition in which light rays from a distance object are brought to focus in front of the retina that is you could not the light ray cannot reach cannot go back to the point or to reach the retina at the back of the eye but rather it is brought to focus in front of retina now, of course you should know what that will mean um, so people who have short-sightedness can see nearby object clearly but when it comes to distance objects, um, they, it will always appear blood. Why? Because the light ray, as I said earlier, will usually form in front of the retina. And this is simply because the eyeball such people have is longer than it should be. So from the back to the front is longer. So instead of the image, the position where the image is supposed to form, because the eyeball is longer, it is not formed on the retina, it's just formed in front of the, the retina. And so the image seen at that point is usually very blurred. Um, for nearby objects, they can see clearly. Mm-hmm. They can see clearly, uh, even though there is a little problem, but... They can see clearly so how can we correct these uh, condition it can be corrected using a spectacle or a contact lens um, that fits this person so the spectacle will usually be one that has a suitable concave surface that has a suitable concave surface or what we call a diverging lens a diverging lens that's what can correct um, that image does 
that divergent lens will diverge the rail further and when it diverges it further it will now be able to focus behind in such a manner that it would it will be on the uh, retina um that is for the short-sightedness now let's move on to the long-sightedness which is um also you can call it hypermetropia hypermetropia or we say that such people have long or far sightedness so these people can see distance things very clearly but when it comes to an object that is near them they will not be able to see just like in the case of short-sightedness those who have short-sightedness can see things that are near but those things that are far will become a problem in this case it is what is near that is a problem and what um, is the cause of this um, the cause is the eyeball may be shorter than normal the eyeball may be shorter than normal that is just the major cause so because it is shorter than normal when it comes to light rays from a nearby object um, they are not bent inwardly sufficient sufficiently so that the image can be formed on the retina rather they are brought to focus behind the retina so the retina has come nearer than where it should be because it is the eyeball is is um is smaller this time around so the image is not formed behind and what would that mean they will not be able to see anything uh-huh. it's a bad uh, the image is not is not um is not um is not formed at all they cannot see nearby objects so understanding this uh, concept will help you to understand to know how to what you suggest to be the best correcting method now you can see that the image is formed not in front of retina now but now behind so what you need to bring it to focus will be not a diverging lens but rather what a converging lens a, a lens that can converge the rays faster or earlier than necessary and that's why the best for this will be using a spectacle or a contact lens with a suitable convex um, surface so remember for short-sightedness they use what a diverging uh, lens or what you call a concave lens but in long-sightedness you are going to use a converging lens or what we call what a convex lens so that to be able to bring it to focus at the appropriate place uh, at the appropriate uh, point the third um, condition which we'll quickly look at is something called press biopia press biopia this is um, very related to long-sightedness but is as a result of age um, once a person begins to age he loses the ability or the elasticity of the lens the, the ability of the lens to be elastic the the ciliary muscles to stretch and come back to position like we, we learn while we're discussing accommodation that lens lose that ability to stretch and come so this lens would automatically affect the focal length of the images that are formed and so the person will not be able um, to see properly so that condition is called um, accommodation uh, whichever way these two can be corrected uh, using the appropriate lenses depending on what is the um, what is the peculiarity of the victim that we are considering here the the fourth high defect is something called astigmatism astigmatism and this is caused as a result of unequal curvature of the cornea or lens what we are saying here is that when the surfaces of the cornea which is normally supposed to be a smooth curve when it's not curved smoothly the implication of this will be that light rays that enters into the eye will be bent unevenly. They will not be able to travel straight to, to have some form of um, um, distortion. So, 
and as a result of this it will not help the image to be properly formed so to correct this astigmatism can be um, corrected um, using the lenses with compensating uneven surfaces it can be corrected using a lens that has a compensating uneven faces to that of the person that has the condition remember we are saying that the the asymmetry is caused by uneven uh, uh, curvature so if you have something that can compensate for that area where you have uneven um, uh, curvature then the person will be able um, to overcome that condition so if you look at all of these four that we have mentioned they are specific it's not something that you can just determine for one person you are short-sightedness uh -huh. but do you know how far his level of short-sightedness is you know how long the level of long-sightedness is so all of this will be determined um, accurately by an optician who will be able to measure accurately and be able to determine which not just a convex lens but what will be the lens uh, not just a, con a concave lens what will be the lens you'll be able to give the appropriate um, advice it's not something you can just pick up on the market store uh, for use but there are still many other eye defects we have other ones that may be caused by old age just as we mentioned presbyopia we also have those that are, can be caused by vitamin a deficiency or those that could that be caused by bacteria infection or poor hygiene habits one good one is um, cataract uh, cataract uh, is a condition very common in elderly ones and that's when the the eye becomes cloudy and because of the fact that something a material is forming on the lens may not be able the person may not be able to see clearly um, there is this particular uh, condition of this that is caused by which is very found in people who have diabetes it's called uh, it's caused by a condition called hyperglycemia that is when you have too much glucose in the, in the, in the blood you could get to the to the lens and begin to form some clouds and that's why when you look at people who have cataract you see something cloudy forming on it is the sugar level that is the sugar that is so much in the blood that has found its way to this eye forming some impregnating the walls of the of the of the lens and does distorting um proper view by the by their victims we also have other ones like night blindness which is seen in people who have deficiency of vitamin a remember we said earlier that vitamin a is a substance that helps in the production of rhodopsin which helps the cones and the rust to sensitize properly so once vitamin a is uh, deficient the person may suffer from um, this night blindness there's also another one which also related to zero pan zero zero Mia, zero filtamia. Pardon me for that error. Then we also have conjunctivitis, one you call Apollo. Um, it could be caused by bacterial infection. It could also be irritation by wind. Yeah. So these are just um, the basic or the other forms of eye defects. How do you care for your um, for the eye? Um, you expect not to rub your eyes with your dirty hands. Um, you want to read books with fairly large print so that you don't force yourself, you don't force, you don't strain your eye unnecessarily. You also want to see doctor from time to time so that they can treat us of any eye infection. They want to avoid staying in the area contaminated with fumes. Want to avoid staying in an area that is contaminated with fumes that may irritate the eye. Want to use clean objects or clean material to clean our eyes. Uh, want to use antibiotic eye drops. And um, we do not want to forget again. We want to see doctor from time to time. That will help us to be able. 
um, to maintain our eyes in a way that it will not um, later develop to any health condition or any eye condition later and so this brings us to the end of our discussion on this sense organ eye a very large one but um, it's very important that we get all we tick all the boxes right